Have you heard? Amazon is now hiring for their new site opening soon in New Albany. Be one of the first to take advantage of launching a new career at one of the best workplaces in the world. Being a part of Amazon includes great benefits and competitive pay, plus many opportunities for advancement. So get a new job today and kickstart a new career tomorrow. Learn more about the perks of working at a new Amazon site. Go to amazon.com slash start now. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. The first five years of a child's life are the most important for healthy development and long-term well-being. The experiences and relationships formed during this period of rapid brain development build a foundation for future learning and success. Yet, this critical development is in jeopardy for many children whose families lack access to quality early learning and care, especially those living in under-resourced communities. The impacts of this opportunity gap are measurable in as early as nine months. Start Early is a proven nonprofit providing doula, home visiting, Head Start, and early Head Start programs, and advocating for policies that put families first. They've been expanding access to quality early learning and care for over 40 years, but there is more work to be done. Learn more about Start Early and the work they do by visiting startearly.org thrive. The Exxon Radio Show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide, including AM 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, WPUL AM 1590 in Daytona Beach, Florida, KOHI AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon, KHRO AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit www.xzbn.net or call toll-free worldwide 1-800-610-7035. The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Climb a mountain, some men swim the sea, some men fly above the sky, they are what they must be. But baby, the rain must fall, baby, the wind must blow, wherever my heart leads me. Baby, I must go. 
must go. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and yes, we're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is Sonia Fuentes. Uh, she is a speaker, author of Eat First, You Don't Know What They'll Give You, The Adventures of an Immigrant Family and Their Feminist Daughter. Joining me now is Sonia. And Sonia, welcome to the Exxon. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, Sonia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Berlin, Germany, mm-hmm. of Polish parents. I had a brother who was 14 years my senior. And when I was five years old, Mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler started coming into power in Germany. And my brother, who was then about 18 or 19, immediately saw the threat to the Jews and um, importuned my father for us to leave Germany. And my father wouldn't hear of it. He was well established there in the men's clothing business, and my family had lived there over 20 years. Mm So eventually my brother left by himself, went to Antwerp, and some months later we joined him there. And then in 1934, we took a ship to the United States. So I came to the United States when I was a month short of being six years old. I got my education here. I grew up in the Catskill Mountains of New York. And then I became one of the founders of the second wave of the women's movement. You've also, I believe, uh, you worked with the federal government. Uh, You served as an attorney with the federal government in the Department of Justice, National Labor Relations Board, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and the Department of Housing and Urban Development for over 20 years. And uh, you were also an attorney and executive with multinational corporations, CTE and TRW, for over 10 years. And our research also tells me that you were the highest paid woman at the headquarters of each of these corporations. That is true. Job well done. Sonia, I'm looking forward to sharing the next hour with you. Please stand by. We have to take a commercial break, but we will be right back. ExoNation, our very special guest this hour is Sonia Fuentes. She is a speaker and the author of Eat First. You don't know what they'll give you. The Adventures of an Immigrant Family and Their Feminist Daughter. Her website, www.erraticimpact.com forward slash Fuentes. And that's erraticimpact.com forward slash F-U-E-N-T-E-S. 1-800-610-7035 is toll-free worldwide. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. However, if you really are... Stuck on the Exxon radio show, like I know so many of you are around the world. You can now listen to us 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days of the year at www.xzonetv.com. After all, all we want to do is make the positive difference in one person's life during each and every show. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. must go, baby, I must go. 
Exo Nation, Sonia Pressman Fuentes is my special guest of this hour. Her website is www.eradictimpact.com forward slash Fuentes. And Sonia, how was your family able to leave Berlin, Germany as early as 1933? Well, as I mentioned, uh, my brother was mm-hmm. really the impetus for our leaving. And he saw immediately the threat to Jewish people that I Hitler mm-hmm. presented. Though what happened was that we were in Antwerp, Belgium, mm-hmm. and my father happened to be reading the Jewish paper one day and saw that ships were leaving for the United States. Now, I think we spent a total of about nine months in Antwerp. And during that time, my father and my brother tried all sorts of business ventures. In, in when they went back to German, my father went back to Germany, uh, Paris, mm-hmm. uh, Belgium, whatever, and nothing worked out. And then one day he was reading the Jewish paper and he saw that ships were leaving for the United States. So he said to my mother, why don't we go? And we were able to get visas because my parents were both born in Poland. So we were able to come to the United States on Polish visas. If we hadn't had that, and if we had to come on German visas, we wouldn't have been allowed to come. What was the world like back in 1933? You know, having having been there, uh, do you do you recall any similarities to the state of chaos that the world was in back then to what we're seeing these days? Well, I was five years old in 1933, Mm -hmm. and I knew absolutely nothing about what the world was going through. I was a child. Right. But did did your parents in later years talk about what it was like in 1933 in Germany? Yes, uh, quite a bit, and my brother also. And I have a lot of that is in my memoir, but they basically talked about their own lives mm-hmm. and what was happening to us in 1933 uh, yes. and different incidents that happened to people that we knew, which is what caused us to leave. Tell me, how did you happen to become a founder of NOW, which is the National Organization for Women? Well, that's a very big question. I'll see if I can shorten it somewhat. Uh, I was working in um, 1965. I joined the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, Mm -hmm. which was a brand-new agency. It had opened for business on July 2, 1965, and I joined it four months later on October 4, 1965. And the mandate of that agency was to implement a new law Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which at that time, it was subsequently amended and expanded, but at that time, it prohibited employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. 
and I was working in the general counsel's office. Now, while that law prohibited sex discrimination in employment, the genesis of it was the civil rights movement and rights for African Americans. So uh, during the first year or year and a half of the commission's existence, it didn't do very much with regard to women's rights. And that was basically for two reasons. One was the fact that the purpose of the law was to provide rights, uh, prevent discrimination against African Americans. And the people at the commission mostly were there for that. And they didn't want the commission's time and resources diverted to issues of sex discrimination. And the second reason was that issues of sex discrimination presented difficult questions of interpretation, Mm -hmm. which were not presented by the cases of race discrimination. So as a woman lawyer working in the general counsel's office there, it was very frustrating to me to see that the commission was not doing anything to enforce the prohibitions against sex discrimination. So I walked around with this frustration, Hmm. and one day a woman came to the commission. She was there to interview my boss, who was the general counsel, and his deputy, the deputy general counsel. And this was the famous writer, Betty Friedan, who had written The Feminine Mystique, which was published in 1963. And she came to the commission in 65 or 66 to interview my boss and his deputy because she thought she was going to write a second book about all the progress women had made since The Feminine Mystique was published. And she saw me there as a woman, and she asked me what was really going on at the commission. And I was fearful for my job, and I told her, nothing, everything's all right. But then when she came two weeks later, I was so frustrated with what was going on that I invited her into the privacy of my office, and I told her that the commission was not really enforcing the law with regard to sex discrimination. And I told her that what this country needed was an organization to fight for women like the NAACP fought for, today we would say African Americans, then I would have said Negroes. And that would have been in 1965 or 1966. And some months after I made that suggestion to Betty, there was a meeting in Washington, I think it was June of 66, of the commissions on the status of women. And because of various things that happened there, 28 women uh, on that occasion uh, signed a document that Betty wrote on a napkin to form an organization which subsequently became NOW. And then there was a second meeting held Halloween weekend in October of 1966 at which I was present. That was an organizing conference. And at those two meetings, NOW was founded. Holy cow. (laughs) On the back of a napkin. That's right. After after your 36-year career as an attorney and executive with various agencies of the U.S. government and two multinational corporations, Sonia, what did you do when you retired? How could you just slow down? What did you do? Well, when I first retired, I went through about a year or a year and a half. Mm-hmm. That was very bad. 
uh, because just as you said, I had spent my entire life working, trying to move up to do yes. more. And then all of a sudden, I was 65 years old and it was all over. And I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life. So I tried a number of things. I was a volunteer at the Smithsonian Institution, um, the Museum of Natural History. Mm-hmm. I worked for a um, county organization in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, which did the same thing on the county level that I had done at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And I wondered what I should do. Should I travel? Should I move? Should I find another full-time job? Should I find another part-time job? (laughs) I just didn't know what to do. I went to therapy. And people had been telling me for quite some time uh, that I should write a book about my role in the women's rights movement and at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission because I played a historic role there. And I thought about that, and I didn't want to write it myself, so I looked for somebody to write it with me, mm-hmm. and nothing came of that. And then I met a woman named Sarah Fisher, uh, who was a writer and an editor, and we met for coffee, and we chatted, and I was talking to her to get her advice. And when I told her about this book, she said to me, that isn't the book you want to write. And I said, it's not. And she said, no. She says, you want to write a book about your life and your parents' lives. And it should be funny the way you're talking to me now, the kinds of stories Mm -hmm. you're telling me. And you have to write it yourself and go home and write it yourself. So I went home and it took me five and a half years. And I wrote my memoir. And after that, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things began to change. The memoir was published at the end of 1999. Uh, Meanwhile, I moved, I started spending the winters in Sarasota, Florida. Yes. And for 12 years, I was a snowbird going back and forth between Sarasota, Florida and Potomac, Maryland. And then in 2006, I moved here to Sarasota full time and have created an entire new and wonderful and fulfilling life for myself. Sounds fascinating. Sounds just wonderful. Uh, your memoir, Eat First, You Don't Know What They'll Give You, The Adventures of an Immigrant Family and Their Feminist Daughter. What's the story behind the title? Well, um, my mother was a typical Jewish mother. Mm-hmm. She did everything for me, uh, and uh, was a wonderful cook, and my family always ate home. Mm -hmm. We did not go out to eat, but as I was growing up and becoming a teenager and and beyond that, I started going out to eat, either at a friend's house or at a restaurant, Mm -hmm. and this made my mother uncomfortable because when she cooked for me, She made kosher food and cooked it with love and knew that it was fresh and (laughs) well-cooked and all of that. And she was concerned as to what kind of food I might be getting when I left the house. So she would say to me, if I was going and preparing to go out to eat, she would say, eat first. You don't know what they'll give you. 
what she wanted me to do was to have a dinner home first before I went out to dinner. <laughs> Sonia, please stand by. We've got to take a commercial break with the news. Thank you very much for joining us. Exonation Sonia Pressman Fuentes is our special guest. Her website is www.erraticimpact.com forward slash Fuentes. The name of her book one more time, because I know that you're just dying to hear it. Are you ready for this, Exonation? Eat first. You don't know what they'll give you. The Adventures of an Immigrant Family and Their Feminist Daughter. We'll be back on the other side of this news break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. I can't love another when my heart's somewhere far away. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at X-Zone Radio. This 4th of July, you where you belong. Make us proud. Get fired up. Let's go. And experience one of the greatest movies ever made. Having any fun yet? Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, ready PG-13. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. RadioTV.com On MSN Messenger, Exxon Radio TV at Hotmail.com And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com So I love 
Central Nation, Sonia Pressman Fuentes is our special guest to this hour. She is the author of Eat First. You don't know what they'll give you. The Adventures of an Immigrant Family and Their Feminist Daughter. Her website is www.eradicimpact.com forward slash Fuentes. Um, you've, you've done so much, accomplished so much. Uh, what, what activities are you involved with these days? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, just stop me when you've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, work out with a trainer at the Y twice uh-huh. a week. Yes. I go to a water exercise class at the Y twice a week. I'm a member of the local chapter of NOW. I'm a member of the Democratic Club of Sarasota. I'm a commissioner with the Sarasota Commission on the Status of Women. I'm co-chair of the Sarasota Chapter of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Mm-hmm. I'm a member of the Brandeis University National Committee in Sarasota. I'm an honorary member of the Sarasota Chapter of the Florida Association of Women Lawyers. I answer questions dealing with women's rights and women's act history on a website called allexperts.com. I yes. answer questions on women's rights and women's history on a website called citabel.com, which is a website for women in science. Mm-hmm. I'm a member of the Sarasota Congregation for Humanistic Judaism. I'm a member of the Banyan Theater Guild and the Oslo Theater Guild. Holy cow. I'm a member of the Sarasota chapter of the American Jewish Committee. I usher for the Florida Studio Theater and the Banyan Theater in Sarasota. Whoa, 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 don't you know you're retired? (laughs) What? You're retired. You're supposed to take it easy. I'm retired from the practice of law, not from life. Ah, I see, I see. God bless you. Thank you. What was your outstanding experience when you visited your parents' birthplace, a village in Poland, in 2001? It was finding my mother's birth certificate. Wow. What was, what was, why did you want, why was that so significant to you? Well, I was going on a trip to Poland, Mm -hmm. and uh, the trip did not include a visit to my parents, uh, the Yiddish word is shtetl, the English word is village. Uh, a place called Pilz in Yiddish and Pilitsa in Polish. Uh, but I decided that I was going to hire a driver and a translator, and on a day that the tour was going to Auschwitz, right. I was going to go to Pilz. And um, before I went there, I spoke to someone, and they said to me, are you going to look for family records when you're there? And I said that never occurred to me because my parents left there when they got married about 1913. And I didn't think there'd be any records, you know, of them at that time. But because this person put this bug in my head, I decided that when I was there, I I would look for some records. And uh, before I went there, I spent some time at a um, Jewish center in Krakow. Mm-hmm. because Pilz is about an hour's drive from Krakow. And the 
gentleman who was the director of that center said, suggested that I go to the mayor's office when I was in Pilt to look for these records. And I said, how can I go to a mayor's office? And he said, yes, yes, that's the place to go. Well, my mother never knew her age. She always said to me that she didn't know how old she was because when a child was born in the family, her father didn't bother registering just one child. He waited until he had a couple of children and then would register them. So my mother didn't, she knew the month that she was born, but she didn't know the year. And it was pretty funny because on a day that she felt pretty good, she would say to me, oh, I'm not so old, I'm only 81. But the next day, if she didn't feel so good, she'd say, you know, I'm 82 already. <laughs> because she was never sure. So I get to Poland, and I take my driver and my translator, and we go off to Pilts. Oh, and, and before I left, somebody told me that, the, that I should look for the priest in that community, because the priest would have all the records. So we get into town, and we start to look for a church. We couldn't find a church, but all of a sudden I saw a sign that said bibliotech, which I know means library. So I said to the, to the translator, Christina, I said, why don't we go to the library? I'm a writer, and that's a good place for me to go. So we stopped at this library, and meanwhile, they, the translator said to me, oh, we can't go in now. I said, why not? And she read a sign there that the library opened at 10 o'clock in the morning, and this time was maybe 9 or something. So I said, forget that, Christina, it's not for me, and I just kept going. And then a window opened, and a woman put her head out, and I said to myself, oh, she's going to tell me we can't go to the library now. And that woman turned out to be the librarian, and she invited us in. Wow. So we went in, and I spent, I don't know, maybe an hour or more with this delightful woman librarian, and she was just thrilled to learn that my parents came from there and I had come back to visit and she told me that there was not a single Jew in that village when I was there which was 2001 and it had been a community with thousands and thousands of Jews not not a big place but it had a significant number of Jews there wasn't a single one there now and she looked up all the books she could find and she could find nothing about my parents so then I told her that I had been told to look for the priest, yes. and she also said about going to the mayor's office, and she called up and made an appointment for me because the mayor had an office of births, marriages, and deaths. So she walked me to the church, which was just down the street from the library, and the priest was sitting on a bench outside the church, and I told him I had come to see about some records, and he said to me he had records of every Catholic person who'd ever lived in that community. So I said, well, that's not going to do me any good. So we said goodbye to the priest, and we went to the mayor's office, to the office of births, marriages, and deaths. And in that office was sitting a large woman behind a desk, very unfriendly-looking. And I said to her that I had come to find some information on my parents. Both of them came from that town, 
and but I didn't really know last names of their family. I didn't really know my mother's age. I didn't really know very much. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I told her what I didn't know. And meanwhile, she told me, oh, and before I went, I had written to Polish organizations, and they told me there were no records left of those days. Because of the war and everything, there was nothing left. But this woman had a huge shelves there full of books. Uh, but she said to me that the books are all in Russian uh, because I knew that when my parents were born there and lived there, uh, uh, Pils was under Russian control. So I said, oh, wow, because I brought a Polish translator. Uh, this Christina that I hired was Polish and a Polish translator, but she couldn't do me any good if the records were in Russian. But this seemingly unfriendly woman said, it's all right. She knows a little bit of Russian. So she got up and, and brought some big, thick book on her desk and looked through that and couldn't find anything and put it away. And then she took down a second big book and started turning the pages and said, here she is. And I got chills oh. up and down my spine. And she showed me my mother's birth certificate. And for the first time, I knew the year my mother was born, which was 1892. And she asked me if I'd like a copy, and of course I did. Yes. So she got me a copy, and it was one of the thrills of my life. And rightfully so. As, as a woman who has been at the very top of the woman's movement in the United States, what are some of the principal problems that you see today in the U.S. and throughout the world facing women? Well, I made a list of that in preparation for this talk, and again, I have to say, you should stop me when I said enough, <laughs> but I want to start by saying that this is a very mm-hmm. historic day for feminists today, because Elena Kagan's Nomination to the United States Supreme Court was confirmed That's this right. afternoon. Mm-hmm. She is the fourth woman ever appointed to the United States Supreme Court. She will be the third woman sitting on our current court when she takes her seat. We've had 112 United States Supreme Court justices, and she will be the fourth. So we have never had three women sitting on the court before. And it's quite a thrill. Now, to answer your questions as to what the remaining problems are, I mean, we've accomplished a great deal in the past 45 or so years, but there's plenty left to do. In the United States, we have a problem in that um, as of next January, when Australia's new law goes into effect, we will be the only industrialized nation in the world that does not provide paid maternity leave. And that's a big issue. Another issue is finding affordable, quality child care. My daughter was born in 1972, mm-hmm. and uh, the situation for women who need quality, affordable child care is no better today than it was then. Violence against women is a tremendous problem in the United States. Worldwide. Human trafficking, sex trafficking, and other trafficking. Poverty, hunger, homelessness. 
women in the military are not yet equal to men in the military. Certain positions are closed to them. Certain units are closed to them. They're barred from joining certain mm -hmm. combat branches. Women in prison have problems of rape and sexual assaults. They don't get adequate medical attention when they need it, especially in connection with pregnancy. We don't have adequate representation of women in political life. An example is that only 17% of the House of Representatives, 17% of the Senate is female. We still have unequal pay. The percentage of women's pay to men's is about 77% at the moment. It's up from 59%, which it was when I got started in the movement in the 60s. But still, this is a tremendous difference. Uh, based on median earnings of full-time year-round workers, women's earnings, uh, when they were last calculated, were $35,745 annual earnings as compared with men, which was 46367 Over a lifetime, this can add up to a loss of between 700000 and $2 million. So we have a long way to go to achieve equality of pay. Maternal health care and maternal mortality, believe it or not, is a problem in the United States. We rank 40th out of 181 countries and much needs to be done to cut down on our maternal mortality. We have in this country too high a rate of cesarean, mm -hmm. too high a rate of induced labor, and we have a need for a greater use of midwives. The ERA has not yet been ratified. CEDAW, the UN's Convention to Eliminate All Forms, of discrimination against women has not yet been approved. I, I hate to and do this. I hate to do this, but I've got to take my commercial break here. Okay. This is a very important topic, and, and I'm so happy that you joined us tonight and that we're able to share some of your vast experience and some of your history with the listeners of the Exxon Nation around the world. Sonia, please stand by. Sonia Pressman Fuentes is our special guest, Exxon Nation www.erraticimpact.com forward slash Fuentes. My name is Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Nation, Sonia Pressman Fuentes is our special guest. And uh, Sonia, we were talking about 
all the work still to do in the United States and around the world for women. But because of time restraints, I have to ask you this question. What are some of the principal changes that you've seen in women's statuses in the United States since you first became involved in 1963? Well, the changes are mind-blowing and way beyond anything that those of us who started now uh, ever envisioned. Uh, we started now to get the EOC to do its job and enforce Title VII for women, but we were also interested in getting women hired for jobs that they weren't hired for and getting them accepted in academia for uh, studies in colleges and universities where they weren't being accepted because they were women. But the changes have been mind-blowing. Uh, one of the big ones is that years ago, uh, before the Equal Pay Act and Title VII, an employer felt free to turn a woman down for a job by saying to her, I don't hire women for this job. Uh, it was said to me when I applied for jobs as a lawyer. We don't hire women to do trial work. We don't hire women in this law firm and so on. No employer uh, with an ounce of intelligence is going to say that to a woman today because it's a per se violation of the law. Now, that doesn't mean it still doesn't happen, but at least it can't be said. Women today are holding all kinds of jobs that they never held in the past. Uh, they're in the professional world, they're in political life, uh, they've been admitted to the military academies like West Point mm -hmm. and Annapolis and the Air Force Academy. Women were not admitted to those academies before the women's rights movement. We've, As we talked earlier, we've just gotten our third woman on the United States Supreme Court uh, before Sandra Day O'Connor was appointed. Uh, in its long history, the United States Supreme Court did not have a woman sitting on the bench. We now have women uh, uh, amounting to 17% of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Not enough, but it's better than it used to be. It's a start. Uh, all, uh, the laws have changed. Um, people have spent time. A friend of mine, Phineas Ingrid, used to concentrate on this. The laws have been changed so that they're not all in terms of he, uh, and so that sexist provisions of the laws have been eliminated. State protective laws have been superseded by Title VII. Uh, and, and, the list, and, and the changed. list goes on and on and on. Sonia, we're running out of time so fast. I'd love to have you back on in the future so we can further discuss this this uh, this case uh, further discuss the changes and get get people involved in what they can do to help make these changes happen would you be up for that of course sonia i want to thank you ever so much for joining us it's been a great pleasure and honor talking to you thank you for all the great things that you've done and i can hardly wait to see what you're going to do in the future sonia thank pressman fuentes so has been my guest this hour sonia take care of yourself and we'll be back on the other side of the news as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This 4th of July. You where you belong. Make us proud. Get fired up. Let's go. Touchdown! 
and experience one of the greatest movies ever made. Having any fun yet? Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, ready PG-13. This 4th of July. You where you belong. Make us proud. Get fired up. Let's go. Experience one of the greatest movies ever made. Having any fun yet? Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, ready PG 13.